Broadcasting from atop the Hensler Financial Building in the heart of Georgia's financial district, Kennesaw, Georgia, this is Money Talks. We're back. You're listening to Money Talks, your trusted resource for your money, your future, your life. I'm Troy Harmon. Here with Nick Antonucci and our special guest, Dr. Roger Tuttero. Uh, let's uh, let's go ahead and dive into our, our bigger conversation. So, uh, I know Kelly Lynn, you've set this up, and uh, really, what we're talking about, we had a, a yield curve inversion this week. Um, had actually yeah, that two, made a, if you want a wanna. lot of news. Yeah, I, I you know I. Again, I come in, come at it as kind of a, an observer of what goes on in the market, and I'm like, yield curve, yield curve inversion, and I'm like, doesn't it have to stick for a while for it to be <laughs> yeah, important? To, uh, well, notable? it does, and it also has to be a little more substantial, and we've seen. Uh, basically, what's happened, when you talk about an inversion, it's when you have a shorter maturity bond that's yield is trading on the market at a higher rate than the longer maturity bond. So mm-hmm. uh, usually the the yield curve we would say is upward sloping. So you know the shortest maturities are going to be the lowest maturities, and the longer which, maturities are going to be yeah, which indicates higher. what the the, the, yeah. the long term is a little bit more uncertain. Uh, yes. well, it, there's more risk. More risk. More risk. Sh- yeah. Y- yes. In, in, in a normally. typical environment. Right. Well, the phenomenon is called the term structure of interest rates, and the yield curve is the graphical representation. Right. Mm-hmm. And what we know from history is you're more lo- more likely to have long-term rates be higher than short. So, in other words, the most common pattern is the upward sloping curve. Right. So, what we do know is that many times when the curve inverts, as you said, shorts are yielding more than longs, you do subsequently get a recession. And the academic research in the case that's correct, but we don't want to get so excited that every time you get a little inversion of a part of the curve for a short period of time, mm-hmm. look, if this stays inverted for inverts and stays there for a while, it's worth talking about. But we have to we have to avoid the temptation that every time we get a little bump like yeah. that, and we've had the bell. we've had false signals before. We had sure. one in 2020 coming into what turned out to be a recession, but there's no way that the yield curve could have predicted something right. like that. That was right. forced. And and even right. beyond that, should it happen and stay there for a sustained amount of time, this isn't to say that there's going to be a recession this year. It's not to say there's going to be a recession, you know, six months from now. There's average lag factor of about, what, 17 months, somewhere in there. Um, but again, that we need to see it stay there right. for a sustained amount of time. Well, right. You well, don't just have one basis point, the twos move above the tens for five minutes, and then, you know. And, and, I know, and, and yet it makes all the headlines. Right. Of course. But you're right, two ten spreads, the one that historically got most attention, but recently people started looking at three, three months versus the ten. Ten year, yeah. Which, the the spread there is still very wide. Oh, right. Yeah, and big. that's actually one of the components to the conference board's leading economic index. Right. So, I mean, I, I, yeah, it's worth noting, it's worth keeping an eye on, but I don't think people should hit the panic button from that. Yeah, and the Fed even talks about a different uh, type of inversion. They look at the three-month versus the 18-month forward on the three-month treasury. Right, right. Uh, and, and that's the one that it, usually it's a whole lot more reliable. If you ever see an inversion there, yeah. then you can almost count on we're about to have a recession. That got nowhere close. And week. the other thing is if you believe that what's going on is just the market signaling you what it thinks is going to happen to the economy, then you have to be willing to acknowledge that the way the Fed has manipulated, and I don't, I don't, I don't mean that as a negative word, mm-hmm. manipulated interest rates over the last two years, that has to muddy the signal. Sure. I mean, as many bonds as they've bought, gosh, that impacts things in a big way. And yeah. I think for me, you know, trying to make predictions 
in an environment like now, I think that is the tough part, Roger, is that we're if if you look at traditional you know, signals you would look at. Everything is so muddled right now because we're in an environment that we've never been in. We haven't seen inflation like this in 40 years. Mm-hmm. We certainly didn't have a, a Fed policy where rates were at or near zero while this was happening. So I, I think it just makes it even more difficult right now to, you know, try and make some sort of a prediction about, you know, future policy or what that means yeah, for a potential or, recession. Right. And, and even over a longer run, if we think about it now, go back to January 2008 when we began the Great Recession. Right. Mm-hmm. We had seven years with the Fed funds rate essentially at zero. Right. Then we started raising them in late 15. Then we started bringing them back down in 19. We've had roughly two years now with them at zero. That's an awful lot of time where we've been extremely accommodative in terms of policy. Yeah, well, and, not and only I, that, we printed a lot of money in 2020, handed it out to the individual consumer. I mean, you, you wound up having a, a strange reaction where a lot of folks just decided they weren't going to work. Uh, they'd, they'd gotten laid off. And I mean, even now, we've got underemployment at about 7.8%, I think it is, which is a, a bit higher than normal. I think it gets down to around 5%. But unemployment at 38 uh, doesn't look as bad. But there's a lot of folks well, that don't have a but job. But labor force participation is still running 1% below where it was sure. before the pandemic. Exactly. Number one concern I hear from businesses today, I cannot cost attract of, and retain labor yeah, and the cost, and the cost of wages yeah. that comes with it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's a tough spot for small business, no doubt. I, I think one of the things that I get hung up on is looking at Fed policy. Obviously, we're, I'm, I'm glad to, to see rates increasing. But should we find ourselves in a situation where... There is no soft landing. I feel like the Fed is in a position where you, your, your, your tools, you've run out of tools. Let's say we get up to 2.5%. So you slam rates back down to zero. In relative magnitude, I just don't feel like the impact of that is going to be as substantial as it has been in the past where the Fed can slam rates lower by a, a, a meaningful magnitude. What are your thoughts there? You know, monetary. Tell you what, why don't we? I don't mean to cut you off. Why don't we? Why don't we go to a break real quick? As I've already mentioned, Dr. Tuttero is a professor of economics at Kennesaw State University and uh, our um, chief economic advisor at Hensler Financial. And uh, we've been talking about inflation and various other things. And Kelly Lynn is going to smack us in the back of the head if we don't get on with it. So. we probably ought to, I mean, he, he's, he's referring to my looks that I'm shooting across the room. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what I've done, but I know it wasn't good. I, right. I mean, that's just the way this goes. Uh, so let's talk about something. I've heard a lot, uh, you know, the Fed's raising rates to fight inflation. And uh, they've, they've told us that we'll get seven interest rate raises this year. They've given us one, so we expect six more, maybe ending the year at 1.75. But the debate seems to be more around what is neutral. Yeah, and and if you look at the Fed Funds futures market, it's implying that by next February we're going to be well in the twos on Fed Funds rate. Okay. And so the question on neutral for me can't be done uh, or can't be answered outside the context of the current inflationary environment. We're up 7.9% for the CPI. Right. We're up about, I think it's 6.4 for core CPI. Right. And on Thursday, we got the report for the for the PC. Fed's preferred measure, PCE, right. which is also running about three times where they wanted it. Sure. So to me, you can't say you got a 2 or 3% interest rate and it's, and it's neutral because the real rate, which is the 
rate that you hear quoted minus the inflation rate is still very negative. Very negative. And so I still think that's accommodative policy from my perspective. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've heard the, the rate, the neutral rate being bandied about maybe two and a half percent. And then, you know, other people come on top of it and, and make the point you just did uh, that. That's not nominal. That's the real rate that we should be talking about. So right. are we talking about seven, uh, seven point eight percent plus two and a half percent? Are we going to 10 percent? on an interest rate? Well, well you gotta, uh, yeah, you got to assume inflation is going to come back down right. from 7.9%. Right. I mean, I'm not saying that's going to be next month, two months from now, but, you know, we're talking by the end of 2022, right, is what you're guiding right. towards with the Fed's sure. referencing. Um, again, I think it's probably optimistic to assume we're back down to those, you well, know, mid-high twos, low threes, but... Well, do we do we have to have a spike in rates like we did in 81? I mean, the overnight lending rate was over 20%. Or it was at 20% a couple of times during 81. Well, spike it for a month and let it come back and do it again. Yeah, well, two, well, two things in play there. You know, First off, we were in a double-digit inflation right. uh, time. But also, Paul Volcker, who was chairman of the Fed at that time, who passed away right as the pandemic started, Volcker departed from targeting interest rates to actually targeting the monetary aggregates. How much credit is there in the economy? And when you do that, interest rates get very volatile because any shock to the demand side shows up as rates, not on quantity. So so what he did between October of 79 and in 1982 was he targeted those aggregates and the rates not only went high, but you're right, Troy, absolutely volatile. You can see swings of several percent in the span of only a month. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, do you expect we would see, uh, you know, I think, no, I don't. I don't. First off, inflation is not as high as it was at that point. Right. I don't see the Fed abandoning their rating the rate targets and uh, I do think inflation will gradually work its way down interestingly enough the Fed dropped the transitory language and it acknowledges <laughs> some of it is persistent um, but I, I think we need to brace ourselves for rates continuing to have some upward pressure Right. And I think that's okay. I mean, I don't think a healthy economy is one in which the short end of the yield curve is at a quarter point. Right. Now, now I've heard that uh, most think that we haven't seen the peak in in inflation yet, that we might see it in the next couple of months, at least reported. And I know there's a month's lag. Uh, But, you know, I've heard a lot of uh, talk about 9%, maybe as much as 10%. We've got producer price index, which is kind of the precursor that's at 10% now. Uh, That doesn't always translate precisely into consumer price index, but uh, do you get a feel for, for yeah, that? Yeah, P- PPI does lead to, to slight degree over consumer CPI, but there's also a different mix of what's in the indices. It tends to be weighted a little more heavily toward commodities and, and inputs, so there won't necessarily be a one-to-one correlation there. Okay. But I do think you're going that you know, I think you're going to see inflation start to ease its way down once we get into the fall. I'd be interested to see you speaking to the composition of PPI versus CPI, because you can Continue to see such a big move in commodities, especially right. since the start of March with the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Um, how high PPI could go? I mean, because at ten percent, you'd like to hope that it's peaked, but given what we've seen, I mean, you look across agricultural commodities, metals in the last thirty days, it's again just you know insanity the the, the price moves that you've seen. And it's a great point, Nick, because people don't talk about ag all the time on the show. But I mean, if you look at Prices paid by farmers, prices received, that gap closed significantly. They were one of the beneficiaries, at least initially, of this surge in commodity prices. Right. But you hit on the geopolitical aspect of it. Until you resolve what's going on between Russia and Ukraine, and we shift policy around from that, the risk 
risk is there in terms of what it's going to do to oil prices. Yeah, exactly. And and, and oil specifically, we've we've seen oil move back down to about a hundred dollars a barrel. You yeah. have the Biden administration talking this morning about uh, additional uh, release from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Um, somewhere between 100, 180 million barrels. But the thing I get hung up on is I, I get that's a short term fix. But the sanctions on Russia are not even, unless Vladimir Putin is gone. Those sanctions aren't going anywhere anytime soon. So I I can't help but think that there's going to be this persistent, you know, high price of oil, price of energy, price of wheat, those sorts of commodities. Um, yeah. Honestly, even even if we try to you know tackle it with a release from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, because there's structural issues that remain in place that you can't just flip a switch and and you know increase production in, in a short amount of time. And then you have the the big oil companies who they're not going to sit here and just plow capital into you know increasing production because if it doesn't make long term sense or they can't generate the returns necessary on that capital, then. They're yeah, not just going to do it to. It's a real please, interesting please situation. Yeah, and, and, I, and I get nervous about using the strategic oil reserve to try to shorten prices. It's not going right. to move it a lot. And I view yeah. that as more of a national security concern. Same. But you mentioned wheat. Obviously, Ukraine, one of the largest producers, America's breadbasket, if you will. So there's pressure there. And yeah. it's going to be an interesting play to see how that plays out. Yeah. it's uh, Nick, you mentioned uh, oil companies not being willing to, to uh, produce more. There's, there's a lot going to work there. Part of it, I think, is political there you know they've been uh they've there's a lot of cheerleaders against them and and um, you know folks in the in the government that are trying to really push electric vehicles uh they know that there might be uh, significant uh, declines in demand over the over the uh, long term and i mean why in the world would you dump a bunch of money into something you're not going to be able to gain all the uh, benefits from yeah one, one last thing back to the uh the release of the reserves i think it's it was interesting to me so i think first first time we did it was uh 30 million barrels and we did 50 now we're talking another 100 that'd be 180 in aggregate it's 25 percent of the of the reserve and it put us at our lowest level since 2002. So 20-year low in the On SPR, the should they release the additional 100 million barrels? Yeah, I would agree. I don't. And you got to refill that. You have to replenish that at some point, too. Yeah, it's such a, such a short-term potential fix. And, I mean, you've seen states uh, back off of taxes. Georgia's done it, uh, you know, trying or to make it. Or send out money. Right? Uh, well, California, that was, yeah, that's, you know, yeah. that's a whole that's other not, People aren't going to spend that. You, if you actually think you give people $800 and that's going towards gas, you're out of your mind. Yeah, well, I tell you what, I, you should see a continuation of people that want to work from home uh, because of this. I think the, what the pandemic started, this might actually continue uh, for a while and who knows how long. But uh, uh, you guys have already said you expect inflation to fall. I agree with you. And I think part of it is, uh, you know, it starts uh, demand destruction. You're you're in the middle of that now, uh, so you know the the rates will cure themselves at some point, or the the inflation rate will cure itself at some point. We just don't know what that's going to look like or how far rates have to go to to uh, combat it. Uh, now, if I'm not mistaken, hasn't the Fed stopped all of its bond buying activity? Yeah, the way the the, the shift to normalcy is going to have three legs. The first one, which is the taper, right. which was them slowing down how many bonds they are are buying, has has ended. Now we're in leg two. 
two, which is taking up the target short-term policy rate, Fed funds rate. And then the third leg is where I think it's going to get really dicey, which is when they actually talk about how to shrink the balance sheet. Mm -hmm. Because the Fed's holdings are over eight times as big as they were in 2007. The economy's not that big, so that tells you we got a pretty big balance sheet. Sure. And it's going to, at some point, it's going to have to be right-sized. And last time we did it, it wasn't pretty. Yeah, and and that's the thing. And I was about to ask, what do you think the probability is for a recession? Will they have a soft landing? Will we be able to keep from going negative on economic activity growth? Well, I think they, I don't usually criticize the Fed. I have infinite respect for them. I think they are a little bit behind the curve. But where I think the risk on the right size of the balance sheet is going to come in is volatility in the financial markets. Last time they tried that, second half of 2019, the funding market got a little bit dicey. Yeah, Yeah, no doubt. We had liquidity issues. Kelly Lynn. Where are we going from here? Next, we're coming up with some listener questions. And so uh, I got one person who's asking if uh, real estate is a hedge against inflation. Oh, so good question. I think it's a good question. We're going to cover that next. You're listening to Money Talks, your trusted resource for your money, your future, your life. Education. Money is motivation. He don't live but love and passion. When he can buy his satisfaction. All material presented is from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decision and is not intended to replace the advice of qualified professionals, such as tax consultants, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in the Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.